This is Point of View with Chris Berg. Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. We have got a phenomenal show in store for you tonight. Uh, if you watch Point of View regularly, you know we've had some great conversations with Senator Kevin Kramer and Congressman Kelly Armstrong about the most important issues of the day. Tonight, we're going to share with you our conversation we have with them, at least parts of it, in regards to immigration. The surge at the southern border is happening. The numbers are staggering, as well as what's going on in the energy world right now and how that's going to impact North Dakota and the Bakken. So here's some of that conversation with Senator Kevin Kramer and Congressman Kelly Armstrong. All right, we need to talk about the surge of the southern border, sir. I'm sure you've seen the story of what happened in Brownsville, Texas. Um, people coming across the border, 108 immigrants that tested positive for COVID. And what Brownsville, Texas is saying is, hey, look, we've got no authority to tell these people where they can and cannot go within the United States. So now these people that test COVID positive are jumping on buses and going to North Carolina, New Jersey, wherever it may be. How in the world is this allowed to happen? And also within this article, people in Brownsville will say, look, I've got no authority to ask these people to show me if they've tested positive or not for COVID. Yeah, outside of all of the other uh, problems with immigration, this is a serious, serious issue, particularly when we're, I mean, when we have, uh, you know, members of the administration talking about whether they're going to test people before they get on domestic air travel. We've continued to keep Congress shut down and not allowed to have meetings in our offices with our constituents and the people we need to meet with and want to meet with. But we're going to allow free flow of uh, <laughs> immigration, both legal and illegal at the border without putting in the same metrics in place outside of all the other bad problems with immigration and how uh, it appears that the Biden administration is going to approach it. This is I mean, this is a public health issue, and I don't understand why why they wouldn't at least treat it as seriously for uh, immig immigrants as they do for their own citizens. I mean, how, how do you explain that? I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's the same thing. Like we, we just continue to stop building fence and border wall because they don't work. At the same time, we erected a wall and a fence and razor wire around the whole Capitol building. I mean, it's it's unbelievably frustrating to have these conversations. And you know why they did it, Chris? Because walls work. Fences work. I come in and out of work here every single day. It is much, it is significantly more protected in the Capitol than it would be without the fence. And I don't know how you can say that with a straight face and then say they don't work on the southern border. So I'm going to give you one more stat here and then ask you some questions about this. Also, it's being reported by Axios that in the fiscal year 2021, we're looking at 117,000 unaccompanied immigrant children crossing our border. You were on the Judiciary Committee in, you know, focused on immigration in the last session. If you can share with people, because I'm assuming you know this, that the impact that and kind of what goes on south of the border where you have families really in Central America, I mean, essentially selling their kids to these coyotes, what coyotes are doing to these unaccompanied kids. I mean, it is a very sad and dangerous situation. Yeah, my colleague Chip Roy, who is down, is down there, is one of the best guys to look at if you if you care a lot about this issue, follow his stuff. But I think that's one thing that people don't recognize: uh, the cartels will make money however they make money. 
If it's moving people, they'll do it. If it's moving drugs, they'll do it. And they're not giving COVID tests and they're not ensuring kids are being taken care of and they're not doing any of these things. And then they get here and we have to deal with them. And now granted, because we have a different president in place now, we talk about it differently, but a lot of what is going down on there, I mean, it's the same thing. Our border patrol agents, I mean, these are real rural, huge stretches of place and they're not set up to take care of kids and with whatever health problems they have as simple as dehydration to, I mean, sexual assault. I mean, these things happen. This is not a safe um, place to be and not a safe place to do it. And by projecting that we are doing these things, we are inviting people either implicitly or explicitly to, to ramp up trying to get into this country. And it's not healthy. It's not good for our immigration policy. It's not good for our country, but it's not good for a lot of them either. So why is the Biden administration allowing it to happen? I mean, like you just said, no matter what's going on the border, you're you're impacting young kids' lives forever. Why are they allowing this to go on and make it sound like, hey, we're we're open for business here in the U.S.? I don't know, but that is essentially what they're saying, and that is the message. That even if and if they don't mean it, they should stop it because that's the message that's being portrayed. And I mean, we need. I mean, our immigration system needs absolute overhaul. We need to solve some of these problems. I mean, at a very local level, we have H2A and farm ag, ag labor visa issues that are important in North Dakota, but we also have to figure out a way how we disincentivize and make sure that they're coming through the legal process and not bringing these these large, large groups of um, illegal immigrants. I mean, I, I know we don't undocumented alien, if that sounds better, but they're crossing the border. And if they've done it before, it's a felony. Um, I used to do this for a living, but also more importantly, we're just creating health hazards for even the people that are coming here. Well, that's what I understand why the Republicans don't do a better job of saying, look, I know that most Republicans want to put America first. And yet, folks, we are impacting young kids' lives forever if they even make it across the border with these coyotes it seems like a humanitarian issue to me and yet that that conversation i don't feel is being communicated very effectively you want to comment on that yeah well i think there's a couple things right i mean i i served i we we used to get this criticism a lot two years ago and i would always just say well we do it every single chance we get in the committees uh some of it is how the national media covers it some of it is how things get spin and then other i mean things are i think a little bit to that regard but also i mean just the timing of this is a little suspect in that it's not like our economy is rocking and rolling right now i think we i mean effectively we're probably closer to 10 percent, 9 percent national unemployment i mean this is the wrong policy at any point in time but it really is the wrong policy now yeah all right let's move on to energy because you are on the energy and commerce committee i want to uh, kind of start big picture and then we'll work our way down but this is a couple of comments that stunned me recently. And I want to get your take specifically on what could this mean for the Bakken. Chevron says, hey, we're not going to be an oil first company in 2040. The BP CEO thinks that oil demand peaked in 2019 and plans to slash its oil and gas production by 40 percent by 2030. I read this and go, are they just going to leave leave it in the ground? What say you about how this could impact the Bakken? Well, I, I don't think it, I think it, I mean, it sounds really weird, but it might actually help the Bakken because those companies aren't the ones doing business here. Uh, I mean, we talk about big oil and it's something that people like to beat up on, but we don't have big oil in North Dakota. In fact, we have a lot of small companies that come up here and do really good work, whether it's Whiting, Oasis, Continental, even EOG, EOG uh, and those types of things. But I, I 
I take a little offense a little times with what I refer to as the big five. You know, they talked, uh, there was an article in Wall Street Journal the other day talking about they would possibly support a gar- carbon tax. Well, anywhere from over 80% of their oil is produced offshore and not in the United States. So if they're serious about talking about a carbon tax, I hope they're talking about worldwide production and not just their U.S. production. Because what I don't want to happen with this, with our industry, the same thing that I think happens with a lot of other industries, is we export our guilt. We can tell our shareholders we're doing well because we we supported a carbon tax in the United States, but 80% of our oil is produced somewhere other than the United States. But uh, the companies, and and that often is a difference in the industry. There's a difference between onshore shale guys and big international offshore guys. And those big international offshore guys have plenty of support from a lot of people. I'm gonna protect the the North Dakota shale guys as much as I can. Um, Speaking about North Dakota, I also wanna ask you this. We had the vice president of ag affairs for the NDSU extension, Dr. Greg Lardy on last night. And I asked, I asked him, hey, we all know farmers use a lot of fossil fuels to produce their, their food. Um, how do you feel about the idea of the American Petroleum Institute potentially back in a carbon tax? Uh, here's what he had to say. Sir. Well, I think there's actually going to create some opportunities, some real opportunities for ag producers, Chris, because agriculture is one of the few industries, even though we use fossil fuels for a lot of our field work and so on, we're really capturing a lot of carbon when you look at uh, what our plants, growing plants, and our grazing management systems are able to do on native rangelands. Those sort of things are going to be a real plus for our producers to be able to compete effectively in what I would describe as kind of this new carbon market. You know, they're going to they're going to have opportunities to uh, utilize some of these soil health practices and grazing management practices to actually uh, better compete, I think, in that carbon market. So so there's definitely going to be opportunity there. Your reaction, sir? Two things. One, the president and the administration had an entire climate day uh, a couple of weeks ago now. They didn't mention biofuels once, not once. It's not, And I think we need to recognize that there are a lot of people on the other side of the aisle, not most of them, but too many of them. It's not that they don't like ethanol and they don't like biodiesel. They don't like corn farmers. And two, unless, I mean, far be it for me to, to, to argue, but uh, if anybody thinks a carbon tax isn't getting passed on to the consumer, then they're not paying attention to how this works. Not the least of which, we are starting to see increases in prices. We are starting to, I mean, as our global economy wakes up from this year-long pandemic, uh, soybean prices are better than they've been in a while. But we, we can wipe all that away with input increases. And if you shut down every pipeline, you're going to congest rail lines again. If you do, if, if natural gas price, prices spike and hydrous is going to go up in price, you can do all the soil management you want and carbon capture you want with green leaves, which I actually agree with. But if you're going to increase the cost of every carbon-based input onto an egg, onto an egg produ- a small family farmer, an egg producer, you're, we're going to see a, a problem with that. And then not the least of which is when we have these carbon conversations and these environmental conversations, we're going to be right back into the failed policies of waters of the United States, increased regulation, causing people more and more problems on their own property. Boy, there's so much to talk to you about um, in the carbon conversation. Maybe we'll, we'll table that for a moment and come back to it. I guess the most importantly in North Dakota, do you see a plan or do you believe that the Coal Creek Station is going to be surviving and thriving within the next 12, 24 months? And if so, how? Well, I, well, eventually you need a pri- I mean, you need a willing buyer and a willing seller. And- that's what I'm asking. I mean, do you see somebody out there that's going to do it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are real reasons why that ha- we have a potential. And I'll tell you the same thing I, I, I tell, I think, every time. And it's been true so far. I'm more optimistic this week than I was last week. And I haven't uh, been in those positions. Our job as federal uh, people, and I know Senator Kramer talked a little bit about this last night, is to ensure that some weird federal regulation that we can are problem or roadblock is not what ends up being the final stumbling block in a sale if it ends up happening. And so we're always trying to stay in touch and making sure we're aware of what's going on in the regulatory environment that can either help incentivize a sale or make sure we work on any problems to it. Let's go back to the carbon situation, because one of the things that Dr. Lardy said last night is, I said, so are you suggesting that North Dakota could actually lead in this carbon credit game? He's like, absolutely, Chris. And so where are we at with carbon sequestration? Where do you see some innovation happening? What's going on there? Well, obviously, we have Project Tundra. Uh, the ethanol plant in Richardson is doing a carbon capture uh, carbon capture um, project. We have really great, um, I mean, we have EERC. We've got great companies working towards these things all across the state. Um, my concern with the carbon capture and you're dealing with 45Q and all of these is this administration doesn't really want to hear about it. The minute you met and mention enhanced oil recovery, which is something we could absolutely use our carbon for, which ha- which has two benefits, right? It helps you store the carbon and it also has, helps you produce more oil out of declining oil wells. They seem to push back, or I mean, they seem to get very hands off when that comes up right away. But all of this is based on making it economically viable to produce energy that is that keeps our grids affordable and reliable, which I think now more than ever, people have recognized is a real serious issue moving forward. What the the, um, president did in his executive order on immigration, when he wiped out all of the the good things that the Trump administration did, um, he basically said to the cartels and to the coyotes who take unaccompanied children across um, or or lend them or rent them to to, uh, adults so that they can use them to get across our border. He basically said, we're back open for business. Don't come quite yet because we haven't replaced the executive orders um, that we undid with my executive order. But but get ready and come on across the border and don't worry about all those COVID cases you're going to catch. There are certain areas in, 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 the, in the route, remember, from Central America through Mexico. There are areas that are, you know, full of COVID cases. You're, there's no way they're going to come through that without that. He also eliminated, by the way, he eliminated the relationship that was created with those three triangular states yes. in the northern part of Central America. He eliminated the weight in Mexico rule. Now, you talk about something that made perfect sense. The weight in Mexico rule was what allowed the Mexican government to participate with us in keeping people who wanted to cross in Mexico until their day when they could cross and have a hearing rather than than having the catch and release program that we had before, which meant, you know, get a child, come across the border, we'll release you into the interior of the country, you can go to places like North Dakota, and we'll, we'll let you know when your court date is that you're never going to show up. These are the common sense things that President Trump did. They undid them, and now they're basically we're, we're open for business again for all the illegal immigration you can imagine. Now, to back up what you just said, I don't know if you've seen the latest stats here, Senator, but uh, fiscal year 19, we had about 80,000 unaccompanied uh, immigrant children. Fiscal year 2020, 33, it's projected, according to Axios, 117,000 unaccompanied children in 2021 fiscal year. That breaks my heart because you and I both know what these coyotes are doing to these little kids. Well, and the statistic bears, it's really 
is an important statistic, an important illustration you just showed. Because from remember, 2019 was when the big caravans came, and they they crossed over while we were getting a handle on it. And the president changed some of these rules I just talked about: catch and release, relationship with Mexico officials to hold people in Mexico. And 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 by the way, this applies to people from Central America, not Mexicans and not Canadians. It's a it's a sort of funny quirk in our in our policies, but. Um, when 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 President um, Trump implemented those, that's when you saw that big drop. And then now with President Biden doing away with those rules, allowing everybody and anybody to come across with children, you're exactly right. It's just created the incentive for the coyotes. And by the way, we learned today of some people that have actually purchased children. Mothers have sold their children to these immigrants so that they can cross the border. And, and isn't it interesting, too, that, by the way, the the quote cages that the Trump administration was using to house people at the border are now being used by the Biden administration and they're perfectly fine. So I want, I want to speak to something, Senator, because we continually hear from some people, um, I'm going to say this as PC as I can, that America is not the greatest country in the world. Let me, let me put it that way. And yet, as you just mentioned, and you and I both know this, you have parents selling their kids just to get to America. There was a story, uh, I think it was in uh, Holtville, California. They had 25 people coming from Mexico. They were in a Ford expedition, a lot of them young. We lost 13 of those people. I guess just your, your, your comments on that, please. Well, these tragedies are exactly what I'm talking about. And these, these are obviously some pretty gross examples of, um, of the problem. But anybody that thinks there's some humanitarian gain in doing what, what's being done is not paying attention. They're simply not paying attention. Yeah. When you have a well-organized legal immigration system that welcomes people into our country in an orderly fashion, you have a far more humanitarian treatment of, of the, those people, of, the, of yeah. the immigrants coming across and their families. Chris, to, to somehow suggest that, that it's hum, humane to do what the Biden administration is doing, and that is to do what the Obama administration was doing, is just plain old hypocrisy it simply is not and i don't know what their motive is in doing what they're doing but it's not humane uh, the american petroleum institute is talking about potentially supporting a carbon tax talk to us about what does that mean for north dakota energy but also what does it mean for north dakota egg producers well thanks for bringing in the egg producers because agriculture producers are big users obviously of uh, of carbon based products not not just the fuel and there's a lot of fuel to plant a crop to you know till a field to uh, to harvest it to dry it to ship all right there's a lot more to that conversation and first off thank you so much to senator kramer and congressman armstrong for their time and insight there but if you want to watch all of that conversation in its entirety very easy to do just go to our facebook page facebook.com forward slash pov now all right, stay with us. we got much more coming up here on Point of View. Please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We're going to hear from Point of View's Anna Johnson on the 100-foot rule coming up right after this.